0: Another Tuesday, another time to talk Iowa Hawkeyes football with all of you right here at the Voice of College Football. We appreciate you stopping by. Please lock it in for the next hour. Leave those comments and questions right here. And uh, while you're at it, of course, you need to be locked in at uh, from the Hawkeye of the storm with Corey. And, uh, of course, Corey joins us here each and every week. And without him, we don't have a show or a channel. So, Corey. Thanks for being here, and uh, here we go for a 41st time.
1: Appreciate this, and for anybody who doesn't realize what we're doing today, we're going to talk a little bit of – we're going to cover our normal stuff, right? Kind of newsy week. There has been – there's a commitment for Iowa football, um, several commitments that didn't go the way I wanted them to, but uh, we'll talk about that transfer portal-wise. And then, of course, uh, we're going to be looking at South Dakota State, and we're going to be starting this this schedule preview – Uh, And I don't know how much you have really talked about it on your show, Mark, but I'm excited over the next 12 weeks to really break down each and every opponent on Iowa's schedule because a 12 weeks sounds like a long time, but we're hitting this every Tuesday, and by the time we get to the end, we're going to be hitting fall camp. So this will be a fun fun time, and South Dakota State's nothing to be trifled with. That's a really good program, and I know it's FCS. We'll talk about it, but um, I'm excited to talk about this. So you you get the ball rolling, Mark, whatever you want to start with, and then we'll, we'll get into Jackrabbits.
0: So as Corey alludes to, it hit me the other day. Why, why don't we bring on opponents, media, or a contributor from all the opponents on uh, the, the schedule? And uh, then I counted up the weeks because I wanted it to work out. Uh, it would be kind of odd to be previewing a November game two weeks before kickoff of the season, for example, And it worked out that we've got 12 weeks to August camp, as Corey outlines. So we wanted to get started right away. And hopefully we will do our best to go in order. May not be possible based on scheduling guests, but here, first and foremost, we will talk South Dakota State here in a few minutes. Uh, Before we do that, of course, uh, we've got a commitment coming in for 2024. I think that's first and foremost, since that is actual concrete reality news and not speculation or what might have been. In terms of one, Preston Reese, uh, 48th rated athlete, the athlete category out of the state of Iowa. Yeah,
1: Monticello. So, you know, when I hear Monticello, first of all, I'm an Iowa guy born and raised. When I hear the word Mon- the, the town Monticello, I think great, count, great Jones County Fair. It's a big, big deal. Uh, usually county fairs, you know, nobody cares about them. But state of Iowa and eastern Iowa, it's kind of like their state fair. I know they've got. I looked at the lineup when he committed. I looked at the lineup for this year, and they've got like, I want to say, um, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab. I know this isn't football related, Mark, but are you a country fan? Have we talked music on here?
0: I know you brought brought up music. Am I a country music fan? You like Elvis? I know you're an Elvis and you're Johnny
1: Cash fan. You like Johnny Cash? You like? Yes, I do like
0: Johnny Cash. And, And what's funny is that's a loaded question because I cannot name you new country artists, sure. but because of certain connections, I have friends and other um, relationships. Th- there has been a lot of country, new country music introduced to me. And I got to admit, I like most of it.
1: Well, I'll say this. Um, and Mark, I just got a text that said that our guest did not receive the link. Oh, so okay. maybe as I, okay. I'll uh, make sure he, he knows you're going to resend it. Um but yeah, so let me read you the lineup for uh for the Great Jones County Fair because this is what I think of when I think of Monticello. Uh Hank Williams, you know who Hank Williams is, Mark. Certainly of course you know who Hank Williams Jr. is. So he's gonna be there this year. Brothers Osborne, Lee Bryce, Lady A, formerly Lady Annabellum, Blanco Blanco Brown, Uncle Cracker, Tracy Bird, some pretty big names there. Like I know a lot of Iowa fans may be scared to admit it, but <laughs> there's a lot of Iowa fans who are country fans. So Monticello is where you want to be if you're a country music fan uh, in late July, July, what, 21st through the 24th, I believe. So, but yeah, so Preston Reese, let's get to football. Preston Reese. Um, he is, you know, somebody commented, you know, he's 200 pounds. He's a little guy. He I mean, he's, he's a, he's a sophomore. And I mean, I, I just, you can ask Don Patterson this back in the day, you didn't, you didn't offer, sophomores in high school mark that was unheard of so times have changed and um, I do have a lot of faith in Seth Wallace who I'm sure has been big in evaluating some of these because they got some pretty good defensive players specifically linebackers um, coming in here 23-24 if you're going to offer a kid that early in the process you probably are pretty sold on the fact that he's going to grow into a pretty darn good recruit Um, he's got the height I think he's listed at what 6'3 Uh, who knows if he keeps growing, you know, you can always, you never really know. I mean, you can, I think you can transition from tight end to linebacker and vice versa pretty easily. So, um, he's got two more years. Yeah. He's listed as an athlete. I think he's probably projected more so as a, as a linebacker at Iowa. Um, but I will say that, that, uh, yeah, he, he's got some growing to, to, to do, um, Now, when you watch him, too, this is the other part about it. And I've said this about other recruits. I brought it up about Aaron Graves, who is a man child up at Southeast Valley. um, who, By the way, we can talk about this in a second. He just got his associate's degree. He's not even out of high school yet. So that's that's pretty incredible. That kid's going to be ridiculous on and off the field once he gets Mm. to Iowa this fall. But um, as it relates to Reese, he plays in a really... He he plays at a very, I don't want to say a weak level of high school football. But Monticello, I don't know if they're two A, I'd have to I'd have to confirm that. But, you know, it's hard to evaluate when you're going up against lesser, so much lesser competition. But he one thing I brought up on my video earlier this week on my channel is that he exercises incredible patience for a, a high school linebacker. And and maybe I'm, you know, I'm not a high school sports uh fanatic, but when I watch recruits on tape that's something that stood out about reese is he does exercise incredible patience so you know one guy that bring, that kind of makes me reflect back is josie jewell who to me just seemed like the most calculated linebacker i was had under kirk Ferentz, and very physical you know really good athlete obviously he's had a nice pro career dealt with some injuries but very patient um and i'm not saying jack campbell or seth benson are not but I like that about Reese at this age. He's a sophomore, so that's a good sign. He's also a quarterback. <laughs> no surprise there. When you go to small school, the best athlete's going to play uh, probably the most important position. Um, you know, I don't foresee him taking snaps at quarterback at Iowa. But I do find this interesting. It seems like Iowa's had, unless I'm just missing something, more than your normal guys who have played quarterback at the high school level, like Alex Moda's coming in. Um, who will be here next year, he'll, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback at Marion. You've got, um, you know, Reese coming in. I believe there's one more. I mean, it just seems like they've got more quarterbacks on the roster. And I said that about Moda Uh, and you could argue about Reese if he ends up playing offense. I I don't think he will, but if he were to, it gives you some flexibility, right? I mean, if we went, I would have be more innovative and I'm not saying you throw a bunch of trick plays out there, but like having Marvin McNutt, a former lefty quarterback, I always thought I kind of underutilized him in the backfield. Like why not throw a double pass with Marvin McNutt? And maybe they didn't. I, I'm just forgetting, but the opportunities there for some of these former quarterbacks, I think you could probably run something for them. Cause they know how to throw football.
0: Your rival is the one that does that, that turns linebackers into quarterbacks. Right? Exactly. And we're going to, uh, we're going to be talking. when well, you're talking about Iowa state. I am Joel Lanning.
1: Yeah, Joel Lanning. And Joel Lanning, let's be honest, uh, is he in the NFL now? Did he make it?
0: It's a good question. I'll look him up. When I see that athlete designation, before you outlined it, I was going to ask, is he a defensive back or wide receiver at the next level? Well, of course, as you mentioned, uh, this is going all the way out to 24, so there's a lot of growth and development there. Uh, to determine where he's going to be best placed, but it's a tight end linebacker. You don't see that combination. You see that combination at the high school level a lot, but I mean in regards to a prospect that they categorize as an athlete, usually 90-some percent of the time that athlete category is DB wide receiver. Right. Um, so, you yet to be determined where he's going to fit best.
1: And Mark, uh, he's still having problems with the link, so I'm going to get this link over to him on my email and see if we can – figure this out. So uh, if you want to maybe address the, can you address the Josh Pate
0: situation while I'm, while I'm doing this? That's the Josh Pate situation. Yes. So I, I will, let me do this. Let me look this up and everyone, please, you will be uh, amused and maybe you can take part in uh, Corey's interaction with Josh Pate uh, of two, four, seven sports. I, I want to point that out because most people know who Josh Pate is. If you're a huge college football fan as all of you are, but I have to admit up until about a year ago, I didn't know who Josh pay was. So maybe you are a big college football fan. Like I was a year ago and don't know of him, but he's the main host on two, four, seven sports. Okay. He had posted something and I got to tell you, Corey, I, I had a comeback for this, but I could not find the thread to where I could respond to both of you. So I, I didn't. But um, Josh sent something out earlier today, I believe. It was a beautiful
1: tweet. It was a beautiful tweet by Josh Pate.
0: Okay, so this is going to be difficult, if I don't think I follow Josh Pate. Uh, Okay, here we go. So Josh Pate tweeted, Give me a fictitious but realistic headline. So realistic meaning it can happen. Maybe not likely, but you can't say that, um, you know, our quarterbacks gonna kind of throw for a thousand touchdowns this year. That's obviously impossible. So give me a fictitious but realistic headline that would change college football this season. His example hits home right here. Wow. Five-star quarterback portals to Iowa.
1: I'm not in cahoots with Josh Pate. Let me just. Make that clear. So yeah, it sounds like it's. So am I right in saying I'm not the only one who believes that 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 would make a huge difference? Because there's some people like we've talked about this. Iowa fans just don't want to address it. They think it's a terrible. That's why I responded to that tweet. They think it's a horrible idea. And and he's not saying that the, a five star would want to come here. I get that, but it just seems like no one else wants to talk about that. Now I'm tired of talking about it because guess what? Gary bohannon and Emory Jones are gone, Mark.
0: I read into this a few different ways. So Josh is on point in a few different ways. Number one, he realizes this team has an exceptional defense year in, year out and exceptional special teams. Therefore this offense is typically, I was going to say horrendous. I'll go with that word. Bottom 20 in the country this past season, 20 to 30 in the country. So pretty horrific offense. What would change that? A five-star quarterback, but fictitious in meaning, Yes, it's realistic in that it technically can happen, but it's not going to happen. Therefore, let's put it out there as this is kind of fairy dust type stuff. But this would be a significant... This would alter the landscape. This would alter the power base of Big Ten football. Therefore, it's a game changer.
1: Mark, I do believe, and then I promise we're going to let this go because there's no... I. There's not a quarterback in the portal. I'm not going to sit here and just talk about it and torture myself, all right, any more than I already have. But the bottom line is, I do believe this. If Iowa had an, a really good quarterback, they would be contenders for a college football playoff spot. In other words, I would say there's probably, and maybe you'll argue there's less because of the dominance of the teams you know, at the top. But I think Iowa would be in a situation where you could say, hey, we need to have college football playoff as a goal not saying it's an expectation, but it would be a goal. With how good this defense I think is going to be, I think special teams is going to be really good. Place kicking we've talked about is a question mark. But I do believe that with the defense, with the special teams unit, and you combine that with a transfer portal quarterback who produces, you're looking at a situation where I think you possibly could argue that this is a not only a Big Ten contending team, but a team that could make a college football playoff. But they're not making a playoff, Mark, with subpar quarterback play. That is just not happening. And if I eat my words, I'll be thrilled to death. All right. But um, yeah, I just thought it was a good tweet by by Josh Pate.
0: We will pick up this conversation. Everybody leave your comments and questions, of course, in the live chat. But as we mentioned a few minutes ago, we're starting our opponents series. And we are happy to be joined by Tyler Merriam. He is the play-by-play voice there at uh, South Dakota State. Tyler, we appreciate you stopping by and joining us. My fault for not being able to send you a link correctly, apparently. I do this like 14 times a day, but apparently I was tripped up by something there. So fortunately, we've got Corey to pick up the pieces. But apparently, the the,
2: the SDSU defense is already stopping Iowa people, I guess. I don't know what's going (laughs) on. For the
1: record, Tyler, Mark is an Ohio State fan. So let's just get that out of the way now. He's a Buckeye fan. So maybe that's the problem. Buckeye fans have problems in Kinnick too, but... (laughs) Tyler, let me just, let me just, yeah, I know one game. It's last, last matchup, Mark, maybe me in a year. Um, so here's the deal, Tyler. Uh, we will jump right into this. First of all, appreciate you taking the time to be here. I know this San Diego, or almost said San Diego state. I'm sorry. <laughs> SDSU South Dakota state Iowa game seems like forever. I mean, down the road, but um, the reality is it is what? 16 weeks away or so. Um, And before we get into the matchup, because I want to learn about South Dakota State and and Mm kind of, first of all, the head head coach himself and the coaching staff I know is very respected amongst Missouri Valley Conference. My good friend Don Patterson had nothing but good things to say about your head coach. But let's talk about the draft, because many Iowa fans probably don't realize that South Dakota State had as many players as Iowa did drafted. Mark, did you know that? (laughs) Can we talk about that for a second?
0: I knew they had a few.
1: And they were both skill position players. So Mm -hmm. Justin... Talk about uh, you know, am, am I pronouncing it sa- correctly when I say Ola Doken? Yes. So talk about Ola Doken and uh, his future with the Steelers, correct?
2: Yeah, and Chris Ola is a unique story in that he's a young man who actually started at an FBS school in Florida and then ended up uh, at an FCS school and was going to go to Florida A and and SDSU had each of its. Uh, Uh, two starting quarterbacks uh, go down uh, in the course of just a a couple of weeks in the spring season and so Oladokun had to come in and literally arrived on campus uh, in the summer and had to quickly learn and and uh, get acclimated to everything and ended up leading SDSU to the FCS semifinals then ended up with an NFL opportunity like you mentioned. Uh, Oladokun just a, a tremendously mature young man who Uh, can move around in the pocket, but really has a strong arm, makes good decisions, and and is more of a pro-style quarterback, which isn't what Iowa fans will see here in the fall we'll talk about that I'm sure but uh more of a pro style quarterback and and had his opportunity and and uh and it's a great reminder too uh, in the midst of all of this NIL and whatnot where everybody thinks that they have to go chase something at the power five to have sort of a uh, possibility beyond college athletics that you can go to an FCS and still be able to succeed and and that's Chris Oladokun story he's a great kid and uh, we certainly wish him nothing but the best.
1: And, Mark, you fell for the bait, too. You got San Diego State up on the banner there. but uh, I do? Well, all is forgiven because SDSU, oh. you know, he probably oh. gets this all. Tyler, you get this all the time, right? You can. You would
2: it. be amazed how many people think that we are San Diego State. And considering we are nowhere near the coast and our colors are completely <laughs> different, you wouldn't think it would happen as often as it does. But here we are. Well, my
0: goodness, while we're being that transparent across the board, the reason I typed up that banner, and I just did that seconds ago, is because I misspelled Tyler's name, glancing at it. I went Merriman like he was Sean Merriman, and I got to South Dakota State right He You still got Merriman down I botched his name spelling. So now I got to put the two together and finally get a banner that's correct. We'll get to that.
1: Okay. All right. So uh, we talked about uh, Oladokun. Yep. Yep. Um, how about Pierre Strong? I mean, that's a those are it's a big one-two punch offensively to lose. Um, and I, I looked through the draft history of the Jack of the Jackrabbits, and it's been a long. Have they ever? Have you guys ever had two guys drafted in the same year?
2: Yes, but it's been a long time. And uh, and certainly Pierre Strong Jr. You talk about losing Oladokun. It's a unique scenario in that yes, the Jacks lose Oladokun, but they return at quarterback, the conference offensive player of the year who had gotten hurt in the spring, which is why Oladokun had to come in. So it's unique where you're losing an all-conference quarterback, but you're actually still maintaining someone as good as anybody in the conference at QB going back to Pierre strong jr. Uh, a young man from little rock, Arkansas that burst on the scene a few years ago and uh, tremendous quickness and speed and agility and a kid that uh, we all thought had legitimate NFL possibilities and obviously did get drafted. And, and uh, I think he has a very bright future old at kind of snuck up on people. It wasn't until really the past couple of weeks leading up to the draft that it was legitimately thought that he would get drafted. Everybody believed he would get an opportunity somewhere but I think we assume maybe more as an undrafted free agent. And there were three other Jacks who were undrafted free agents, but Oladokin did sneak in there as a late pick where strong, you knew was going to go somewhere multiple time, all American and, and uh, just a, a phenomenal, a student athlete. And so no surprise there. And uh, like you said, two Jacks drafted, it's, uh, it's quite a feat for SDSU. issue.
1: Absolutely. And I just want to say this. So, so coach John Patterson, everybody listens to this show knows coach Patterson. i Guessing Mm -hmm. maybe, Tyler, you know who Coach Patterson is, given his history at Western. Mm -hmm. Um, He just, when I mentioned to him that uh, you were coming on this show and they were going to be previewing Iowa's South Dakota State, Mm -hmm. he made a point of saying how much he respects and uh, really just thinks highly of John Stiegelmeyer, not only as a coach, but as a person. Um, And I don't know John, but Don, again, went out of his way to bring up Coach Stiegelmeyer. Can you talk a little bit about him and what makes him such a great head coach?
2: Well, uh, there's so many layers to John Stigelmeyer. I think first off from the 10,000 foot view, you have to look at the fact that he is one of the more unique football coaches you will ever find. And I say that because it starts with the fact that he does not utter a swear word to the point where his word of frustration, his words, his phrase is holy nutmeg, which is also his Twitter handle, which he doesn't use Twitter all that often, but he is on it. He will occasionally tweet and it definitely comes off more like your grandfather tweeting than it does somebody of age. But, uh, but Stig is a, is a down to earth guy. Um, he's somebody who grew up in a small town in South Dakota, Northeast side of the state, Selby, South Dakota, who, did have a foray into the FBS way back in the, the early 80s and just didn't like it. Just said, this isn't for me. You know, I want to spend more time with my family. I, I just I don't think that's something for me that I want to do. And so he his dream was to stay at his alma mater, South Dakota State. He's been here since the late 80s. He was a defensive coach for a decade and then became the head coach in 1997. And one of the more unique parts of the Stigelmeyer story is he was with SDSU as the head coach when the Jacks were Division II in the North Central Conference and didn't have a ton of success. You know, had a couple of seven-win seasons. But in all the years of Division II, SDSU played in one playoff game and got routed way back in 1979. They move up to the FCS. All of a sudden, uh, there's some infrastructure in place, improvements to facilities, scholarship improvements, and suddenly, this program takes off, and now uh, you're talking about uh, an unbelievable run of success with multiple postseason appearances in a row, uh, FCS semifinal trips, and four of the last five postseasons. A trip to the national championship game in the spring, and so Stig led all that. And again, it's more of a a down to earth approach, and he's very adamant too, and in, in that. Uh, He's the head coach. You know, he's kind of like the CEO. He doesn't get to have his hands dirty and everything. So he relies a lot on his assistants, but uh, he really is a throwback of sorts. And, and just a a unique guy he calls uh, and the Jacks do some of these things too, but trick plays and, and uh, the, the wildcat formations and whatever, he will jokingly refer to that as communist football. You know, he believes in the eye formation and three yards in the cloud of dust. Now, like I said, the Jacks will still run their trick plays but that's what he would refer to some of that stuff as. So very unique guy, but again, stand-up individual, very heavily involved in the FCA and, and uh, feeding South Dakota is a huge charity here. He's got his name on. So does a lot of things like that and uh, highly respected uh, in the state.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, I just want to kind of get some of these housekeeping things out of the way first, Mm -hmm. first guy that kind of came to my mind when we were discussing this matchup was Brandon Snyder, who was a really good safety at Iowa transferred to South Dakota state. So there's a connection there. I know he's moved on now and is coaching Mm -hmm. high school football, um, FCS versus FBS. You know, you, obviously it's, you're going to, you're going to be hard pressed to find a team, um, that has a great record against FBS competition, but South Dakota state has had its share of success against FBS teams. I think of a couple of years ago, taking Minnesota down to the wire. And just last year for people who want to reflect back on Iowa's game against Colorado state, Iowa struggled against the Rams for much of that game if you recall they were down at halftime mm-hmm. um, end up coming back in that game but let's be honest South Dakota State dominated Colorado State 42 to 23 last year so this is no slouch of a team and people I've had people Tyler I'll just admit Iowa fans who when I have implied that this could be a very difficult game for Iowa they kind of chuckle at it and I just think I don't I, I don't know what I don't know how you do that. Did not learn from 2016 when Iowa lost at home to North Dakota State. But this is a, a game, correct me if I'm wrong, the Jacks went to the semifinals, of the FCS play, playoffs last year. Yes. All right. This is one of the best FCS programs in the country. So what does South Dakota State bring to Iowa City that you think could potentially cause Iowa some problems?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, like you said, it's a program that's had a lot of success. And we say last year, we have to put the asterisk from the FCS standpoint. There were two last years last year because there was the spring season and the fall season. So in the spring, SDSU went all the way to the national championship game and came uh, less than 30 seconds away from winning it and then went to the semifinals uh, in the fall. So played 25 games during last calendar year, uh, which is just uh, almost unfathomable but that's what happened and and so they've been around the block uh, certainly they have some some new pieces that need to get brought into the fold but offensively uh, virtually all these skill positions uh, are filled by players who went through that run in the spring and most of them in the fall as well and so they're a veteran laden team who have played in those setups like you said beat Colorado State a lot of them also played at Minnesota in 2019 uh, the program uh, won at Kansas uh, a few years back as well back in 2015. Stigelmeyer was there. The the coordinators uh, who are here at South Dakota State were involved in that win as well. So this isn't their first rodeo. Look, they may go to Iowa and lose. There's no question. That's, that's indeed a possibility, but it's not going to be because the moment's too big for them. Like they've never been on a stage like this before, because as we said, they've been on this on many occasions, played well and and, and had some wins. So I think first and foremost, they're going to come in believing that they can win because recent history indicates they can compete and they can win. Put
1: up 41 against TCU a few years ago, too. And yeah. by the way, here's another thing that I, I we've never talked about on the show, Mark. But, Tyler, I'm, a, I'm an Ames guy, so I live in Ames. Mm-hmm. Um, I recall, was it 2018, the the canceled game with Iowa State? I have the, the year right there, 2018?
2: I believe that's the correct year, yes. We, uh, we waited out a beautiful morning and afternoon in Ames to get to the evening and then uh, got, I think, four minutes and five seconds into the game. And Iowa State had just scored to go-ahead 7-0, and then the heavens opened up and lightning and rain and downpours and monsoons, and we never got to play the rest of that football
1: game. What I want to know, Tyler, and I remember asking this question at the time, and I know there's logistics. I get that there's TV networks to deal with and all these other things. How hard can it be to schedule a game for Sunday when a game gets rained out on a Saturday? How difficult can that be to schedule? You guys... It's not like South Dakota State, you know, this isn't San Diego State. This is South Dakota State. It's not a real long travel back. Why was that game canceled?
2: Well, a couple of things. You mentioned the logistics of it. Um, you got to suddenly find uh, 150 hotel rooms, you know, like that, uh, which certainly is not the easiest thing in the world to do on short notice. Uh, And I think the next step, too, partly was – With all the rain and whatever, what sort of shape would that field be in? And then, like you said, there were television logistics and operations crews and things like that. Uh, Could there have been some way it maybe could have happened? I mean, perhaps – it would just have been a logistical nightmare for a lot of folks. And we take it for granted because we're like, we'll just put the teams out there and let them go. Uh, There's a lot more to it. And let's face it too. You have uh, a bunch of student athletes who on both sides, you know, particularly SDSU have uh, uniforms and whatever that are just dripping and cluttered and whatnot. Well, now you got to get them all clean and whatnot. Yes. You would like to think that can be done, but you're asking a lot to when you also clean Iowa State stuff you know that's 300 sets I mean, there's 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 a lot of things that go into it so uh it's not as easy as as those of us who don't have to worry about those things might think it would be was there a discussion yeah, you remember go yeah.
0: ahead mark yeah we just want to see football exactly. because, yeah there's a ton of logistics there although the covid season did show us that maybe some of these programs and logistics are a little bit more flexible than yeah than we had thought, but yes, there's, there's a lot to consider even beyond what you've described that uh, most people don't consider. Uh, What, what caught my ear among other things, Tyler, is Mm -hmm. when you lined up the 15 games that were played during the fall, 11 and four season, the 10 games that were played in the spring, have any players commented on the wear and tear that they took? You know, that was a a talking Mm -hmm. point during COVID about the, the conferences that talked about Moving to spring and then turning around in the fall, whether that uh, has been discussed now that it's been, you've gone through the gamut. It
2: it has been discussed. And I think during the course of the year, they didn't notice it as much. I think once the year got over those first few weeks, there was a sense of maybe relief isn't the right term, but just kind of an ability to exhale a little bit because it was, it was a, a long year. And, and I think the other element of that too, is not only the wear and tear, but also that that uh, that spring season is so big for your red shirts and you have an opportunity to give them a chance to, to go through spring ball. And like in the case of, uh, of Isaiah Davis, who we'll get to the star running back for SDSU did very little, as far as reps during the spring, because there's no point in risking it. Just get him, you know, make sure he's in shape and things of that nature. So you have some other guys that get additional reps. You didn't have that luxury in the spring. So that was the other part of that is you lost some of those reps for those younger guys. And then you added the extra wear and tear of, of two seasons in the short amount of time. Now there weren't that many injuries. You know, that was one element that we all were worried about was, are we going to see a ton more uh, injuries in this or that? Uh, And the Jacks had a couple of guys go down down but it wasn't anything from wear and tear it was the same type of injuries you could see first game of the season you know uh, um arguably sdsu's biggest injury was was landon wolf who was a transfer uh from oklahoma state who didn't play in the spring season and he wrecked his knee in the first game of the year well you know that wasn't because of the spring so yeah, there certainly was some wear and tear. Uh, more so than that, they, the, uh, the players and the staff have just talked about how nice it is to have a regular spring again, because we haven't had that in a couple of years with the, the COVID-19 and with the moving the year to the spring. But there's no doubt uh, there were some guys that were happy just to be able to, to catch their breath a little bit after playing 25 games in a, a span of, of really 10 months.
0: Corey had mentioned the Colorado State matchup from last season. Obviously, the, the big matchup, and when I say big, I mean for most of our viewing audience uh, locked in on the FBS is Iowa. Is there a strategy approach to the non-conference schedule for South Dakota State um, in regards to who they would be looking to
2: play non-conference and specifically in the FBS? I think as far as the FBS is concerned, in some respects, it's who will have you, you know, because there are schools that don't want to play an FCS. And there are schools that uh, are aware of what the North Dakota states and the South Dakota states have done and and don't want to, uh, to play an SDSU. And there also have been a couple of cases where SDSU has entered into a contract with a school and that TCU game was one of them. That was a contract signed with Minnesota. And Minnesota decided that uh, uh, for a variety of reasons, they were moving games around and whatever, they sold that game off to TCU. And so there have been cases like that where things have changed. And so you're somewhat at the whims of, uh, of other people when you're the FCS school against the FBS. But uh, if possible, regional foes are always favored because the Jacks do have a decent following. So if you can play Iowa. You can play Iowa State. You can play Nebraska and the Jacks originally had a three game series with Nebraska that was to start in 2020. Well, that was, of course, COVID. And so that didn't happen. And, and so then there's been some some changing around with that and trying to figure out how to fill the gaps there. So uh, if it can be a regional foe, that's certainly ideal. And uh, and like you've said, Minnesota has been on the schedule a couple of times. Uh, Iowa State recently and then this game coming up uh, with Iowa will be nice as well for for fans because it's about uh, six hours or so from campus. You know, so it's not a, a horrible drive by any stretch.
1: Not to switch gears, and we're kind of jumping all over the place, Tyler, yeah. but um, we talked about strong and replacing him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just glancing through last year's results and a lot of youth behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, who replaces him? Is it going to be a two-headed monster? I'm assuming Johnson and is it Davis that are back? Is it going to be a two-headed monster? Or do you see um, Stiglmeier changing things up as far as run pass more? Or what's your outlook there?
2: Well, a couple of things to note. First off, you know, Davis and Strong were a two-headed monster, and Davis was a freshman All-American in the spring, and then they really thought was destined for big things in the fall, got injured in the non-conference, and missed uh, a good six, seven weeks, and then came back and was a factor late in the year, but missed a lot of the season. So his numbers were certainly impacted by missing over half the year due to injury but he he is certainly somebody that uh, immediately came on everybody's radar if you go back and watch the national championship game he has a couple of tremendous touchdown runs including a, a, a unbelievable stiff arm he throws on one of them he'll be the lead back amar johnson uh, had a nice season as the number two behind Strong Jr. or even number three when Davis came back, and he's more of a scat back. Davis is a little more physical but still has good speed. They'll use both of them. The other individual, too, in the middle of this uh, are Mark Granowski. Uh, Mark Granowski uh, was a running quarterback, and the Jacks don't necessarily run option with him, but they'll do some read option you know, stuff where he can hand the ball off or keep. And uh, he had a lot of success running the football during the spring season before his injury. And so where with Oladokun, again, they ran more of that pro-style offense where he didn't run the ball very much, with Gronowski, one would assume they will go back to what they did a lot in the spring season, which is use Gronowski as a running threat and, and open things up more in that vein. So you'll have Davis, Johnson will certainly be involved, and then Grenowski in the running game too. So almost, I guess, a three-headed uh, monster in the running game.
1: And is it Jackson Janky? My Yankee.
2: Yankee. Yep. The Yankee twins. Jackson wow. and Jaden Yankee. And what position does Jaden play? They are both wide receivers. They'll start at that position. Jaden is nine. Jackson is ten. So you uh you have to remember the X is the uh, Roman numeral for ten, and that's Jackson. That's our little wow. cheat sheet, guys, if you get calling.
1: And Jackson caught balls for like what under just under twelve hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Uh was that in the spring? Or I don't remember which which year I was looking at, spring or fall.
2: Jackson would have had a, a better fall, but had a good spring too. Uh, Jaden would be a little more of your spread the field, deep threat or Jackson's a little more physical. And then they like to use them in the screen game. And uh, they're not a team that's going to drop back, send five receivers out and pick you apart. That's not the way that with Mark Gronowski, they're going to play. They're going to be run first. They like their options at wide out with the two Yankees. And then Wolf, whom I mentioned earlier uh, who missed all of the fall season, who can really be a burner. And then two very talented teams, tight ends, including one who uh, certainly has NFL future, and uh, the guys around here talk about his NFL talent, and they should know with Dallas Goddard, the Philadelphia Eagle standout, who came to the program a few years ago. They think Tucker Craft can be just as good as Goddard, and uh, to have him and Zach Hines in the fold, they just have a a lot of weapons. They're not going to throw the ball 50 yards downfield, but they'll try to be physical and and be precise in how they attack a defense.
1: Mark, I will throw this to you and give you a moment, but I'll just say this. This game worries me more than the Nevada game worries me. Um, and certainly, if Jay Norvell had stayed at Nevada, that potentially, just given the connection there, you know, he, he'd have some amb- ambition to win that game more so than maybe he typically would. Um, if South Dakota State's going to win this game, I think this is a 24 21 type of game. Um, Tyler, I could be wrong on that, but. You are probably you're a Midwest guy. You're probably familiar with Iowa's offensive struggles. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, yeah. the, the elephant in the room is, you know, I'm going to bring it out because it is Iowa's traditionally over, and I'm talking last five years has had one of the worst offenses in the Big Ten. Last year had one of the worst offenses overall in the country of all all FBS schools, and I'm just thinking if if Iowa can't run the ball, not to simple oversimplify this, but if Iowa can't run the ball he ain't going to score a lot of points, all right? That's just the bottom line. We've seen that, unless Iowa can create a ton of turnovers. And given what you just described about Stiglmeier and how he wants to play, my guess is without looking at the numbers that the Jackrabbits are not a high turnover volume team. So even though I think Iowa's defense, we talked about this before you jumped on, defensive backfield is going to be loaded, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of experience, a lot of young talent. Iowa's linebacking core may be the best in the Big Ten. Mark may debate that, but with the three guys they have coming back will be ter- terrific. I think all of them will play in the NFL. But again, if you can't run the ball, this is going to be a game South Dakota State has a chance at winning heading into the fourth quarter. Mark, you remember the 2016 game and during a, a 2016 season that was very much hyped. Iowa coming off the, the one play away from the playoff game against Michigan State the year prior and then losing at home against the Bison. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not making any predictions right now, but do you kind of see where I'm coming from with Iowa, especially with two running backs that really, even though they had a good game against Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl, haven't really proven themselves an offensive line that's struggling and a quarterback that uh, we know the the story behind?
0: Well, that's been the recipe for, uh, you know, these these FCS wins over the power five have not come against generally the worst of the power five. They've come against really good programs. Um, Tyler cited um, a close call against Minnesota a team that finished in the top 10 in the nation two years ago and 11 and two Uh, you know, some wins by uh, North Dakota state uh, specifically against uh, Kansas state comes to mind. And, you know, again, you know, maybe not the top rung of the FPS or power five, but very capable, good teams. And so, and the recipe that you're drawing up is, is the recipe I think we can all foresee is that yes, if SDSU sells out on the run and maybe they don't even need to sell out on the run and compromise um, the secondary, but however they, feel they they size up against the run and and do that and then put it in Spencer Petrus's hands um and he's he's capable but he's not a consistent as we have seen 65% thrower of the football it's it's hit or miss and yes and then you take care of the football take the air out of it you know you're you're looking at most of these games that have been won or played close by Uh, both South Dakota State and North Dakota State and others uh, at the top of FCS, they've typically been in the high teens, low 20s.
1: And South Dakota State has, I think, a top 15 rush defense, if I recall. Um, So, again, the recipe is there. You're going to have a coach that's not going to be phased by heading to an FBS school with a ton of – I mean, look at what happened with Minnesota last year, Mark. I mean, I understand Bowling Green is FBS, but that was a really good Minnesota team that uh, you know, knocked off Wisconsin late in the year. That was a really good Minnesota team and had a hiccup against a mediocre Bowling Green team early in the season. So people, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I, I hope Iowa fans aren't looking past this game. I'll say this, Tyler. And you're looking at it from a different perspective. Iowa loses this game week one. It's it's torches and pitchforks heading into the Cyhawk week. <laughs> And there's just no question about it. So um, from your experience, um, and maybe you you haven't watched Iowa enough, but is there a facet of Iowa's offensive woes, specifically the passing game or the, the lack of pass protection? I'm talking about last year specifically that you really feel that the Jackrabbits can take advantage of specifically.
2: I don't know if there's something they can per se take advantage of. Like you look and say, well, this is a huge discrepancy that SDSU can dominate. I think definitely the Jacks, in an ideal world would like to force Iowa to throw the football. You know, it's the old saying dictate don't let Iowa dictate when it throws the football SDSU would like to dictate when the Hawkeyes do that. And I think if, if that's the case, the Jacks will feel pretty good about themselves. I think you laid out the, the recipe for how the Jacks are to potentially win this game, take care of the football, establish the run, control the line of scrimmage. It's much easier said than it is done but that's how NDSU did it when it went in there a few years ago yes much different team but uh, but nevertheless that's I mean that's the deal and you have to take care of the football you know that's going to be the other element in this too and so if the jacks do take care of the football and and just I think hold their own I think that's the other thing is is it's hard to imagine SDSU going into Kinnick Stadium and dominating the line of scrimmage but that's not necessarily what the Jacks need to do. Just don't get dominated. You know, hold your own. give yourself an opportunity. That's one thing that the Jacks do have a lot of new faces on the defensive line because of the COVID scenario. Uh, they had a lot of uh, uh, you know, additional year seniors who graduated after last fall. That class uh, of defensive linemen did a great job in allowing the linebackers to sort of roam free. And Adam Bach, who's an Iowa kid, uh, is a phenomenal tackler in the middle of that Jackrabbit defense. You have some new faces up front. Can they keep the linebackers feet clean, if you will, to allow them to pursue and make one-on-one tackles or will that offensive line be able to get to the second level? And if they do now, all of a sudden Iowa's run game is going to make things very difficult for SDSU. So I know we're a long way away. We're projecting a ways out, but I think that's sort of uh, where it comes to mind for me is the Jacks just need to compete on the line of scrimmage, not get dominated up front. And then certainly on the other side of things, if, if they can find a way to force Iowa to throw the football more than it likes, then I think John Stiglmeyer would take his chances.
1: And a couple things to just piggyback off that. 2016, I remember this game vividly. I was at a hotel up in Okoboji, Uh And I remember thinking, holy crap. Like, North Dakota State's actually winning the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And so, again, going back to that offensive line, the one dominant piece of that offensive line was Tyler Linderbaum. He'd gone. Okay. I was trying to figure out where to pull these different pieces. You lose Linderbaum, you lose Kyler's shot. Now Cody Ince walks away from football. That's a lot of experience you're taking off the field and from an offensive line that wasn't very good last year. So I wouldn't dismiss the fact that South Dakota State can cause some serious problems in the backfield for Iowa. And I think the key is, and yes, I, we're projecting this forward. It's May 10th here. But <laughs> the key, I think, really, is Iowa has to stay on top and never, ever give south dakota state even the slightest idea that they're in this game because the longer you let this type of a team hang around mm-hmm. it's what they did with north dakota state and we know that happens mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. it happens it happened with the iowa richmond march madness game Iowa let richmond hang around they start believe they could win um iowa had the bugaboo defensively the one real bugaboo for that defense last year and i'd have to i'm going to go back and trace this at, at some point and talk about it on a, on a future cast but Um, Iowa had the bugaboo of letting teams score on their opening possession almost every game. And I have no idea why that is, but, Mark, you may remember that. Iowa just consistently allowing the opposing team to score on its opening possession. It seems like they figured things out and, like, almost didn't give up anything the rest of the game. But you do that against a team like South Dakota State, even though that made me, you know, maybe that's just kind of, you know, the same old, same old for the Hawkeyes. You're going to give a, a, a bunch of kids who, you know, maybe they believe they can win heading in, but maybe there's a, d- a doubt in the back of their minds. If they get up 7-0 early on the road and shut that Kennett crowd up, it's going to be bonkers in early September. There might be some belief that they can, they can get it done. And I will say this too, as, as great as people, I know people love Riley Moss, and I like Riley Moss. I'm happy he came back. I think he ne- needed another year. But he was defensive back of the year last year in the Big Ten. But he had problems, even against non-Power 5 schools, specifically Kent State, giving up the deep ball. So, you know, you, you if Iowa's defense comes out stagnant, allows an early score, and you can hit Iowa on just one deep ball, maybe target Riley Moss. And Stiglmeyer, he's been around the block long enough, I guarantee you, Mark, he's going to do that. He's going to take a shot at Riley Moss because there will be no other tape for him to look at other than last year's tape. And Don Patterson has said it on the record that Riley has had the tendency at times to give up the deep ball and not be disciplined enough. So he needs to work on that. But I'm just saying they're probably, I would not be surprised if SDSU takes a shot his direction and you only have to hit on one of them. So I guess that, you know the margin, I used to see the margin for win versus loss in this game for Iowa is a lot thinner than people anticipate. Um, on the other hand, we saw last year, Iowa in its opener against Indiana, knock off a couple big plays, force Michael Penix into problems, turn the ball over, um, and Iowa just never even looked like they were going to allow Indiana back in the game. So it is possible that Iowa could jump on them early, but until we see some some uh, form of offensive uh, production (laughs) across the board and especially given you're losing your best offensive player in Tyler Linderbaum, I have serious doubt that I just going to run away with this.
0: Iowa jumped on two opponents last year, Maryland, and then the game that you mentioned against Indiana. And most of that had to do with turnovers. I think five interceptions against Maryland and the two quick pick sixes against uh, Indiana. Otherwise they're playing in tight games. And if you play out the scenario, just the math and the metrics of going down seven to nothing, How many times you have to score at least two touchdowns to be not within one play of giving up the lead, potentially. How many times does Iowa score two touchdowns offensively in a game?
1: Well, if I recall, they've scored, and this is a real stat. I'm I'm bringing this back from recollection from our conversation with Coach Patterson. They have, they scored eight total offensive touchdowns in their last six games. Think about that for a second, Tyler. Wow. I mean, if you don't turn the ball over against Iowa, you are going to have a shot. That's just the bottom line. And what's crazy about these stats, and we should probably have talked about this more, Mark, and we've got time to talk about it on these future shows this summer, but remember when Iowa was undefeated and you climbed to number two in the country and everybody's talking about how this isn't sustainable, this isn't sustainable, the turnovers, really, yeah, they didn't, the volume of turnover is kind of plateaued. But their their production in the defensive backfield and creating specifically interceptions, they didn't do a great job creating fumbles was off the charts. And so I do have confidence that Phil Parker can overcome the odds. Cause the odds say at some point, you're going to come back to earth and not turn teams over. But Phil Parker's guys just find a way to do that. But again, it just takes one time. And you think back to the, the games where Iowa didn't produce a number of turnovers, Michigan, Wisconsin, Purdue, Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, Kentucky, I'd have to look back, but I mean, like for the most part, when they don't produce turnovers, they're in trouble. You mentioned Maryland, you mentioned Indiana. I think of Penn state. I mean, that game changed because Iowa took out Sean Clifford. Um, but they had already forced an interception on Clifford on Clifford down in the red zone, their own red zone. So it is going to be difficult without turnovers. With that being said, I do believe Iowa will force turnovers because, It's just what they do. Um, I do see a couple comments in the chat that I want to get to, Mark, if that's okay with you, um, because I know we're we're coming up on our time here. Um, So Joseph says, North Dakota State and South Dakota State, two different programs. One is considered the Alabama of the FCS. The other is probably a West Coast team by comparison. See, I wanted to highlight that because I don't know that Joseph means any disrespect by that, but is there a bit of the big brother, little brother uh, comparison when you're looking at North Dakota State and South Dakota State. I know they are two different states, but is there a bit of that chip on the shoulder that Jackrabbits have to play with because of the perception of those two schools against each other?
2: Well, it is interesting that the, the Jacks have won four of the last six in the rivalry, and yet NDSU has been the one that has won the national championships. And so that's really what it comes down to is, is that no team has had the success against NDSU that SDSU has had. But NDSU has been the one that has the the run of uh, of trophies. So it, it's quite a rivalry. You know, uh, College Game Day came to Brookings in 2019 for that matchup. So it's it's a great rivalry. It's a lot of fun. And uh, and again, year in, year out, they've been uh, the two dominant programs in the FCS. So I, I don't know if big brother, little brother is the right term but uh, or right phrase, but Certainly, it's it's a great fun rivalry between two of the best at our level in, in college football. Who, again, like we're talking about, both have had success against FBS teams.
1: Real Hayden says SDSU can out Iowa, Iowa with their game plan, and he thinks that they could win ten to three. Mark, ten to three. We're bringing back the wasn't that Iowa Michigan a couple of years ago ten to three in Ann Arbor? If it's ten to three, I mean, you lose to South Dakota State ten to three week one. Like I said, it's. It, the whole state may burn up. If
0: I will lose this 10-3, to 3, we can just rerun all of our off-season shows <laughs> and just run them that week.
1: Um, and the Leman- last question here from Lemansky, Um that, that uh, we're going to get to here. Um, I, maybe I'm reading this wrong. Corey will learn if our ol- offensive play calling helps us. Vanilla play calling against the SDS- SDSU head coach concerning. Um, well, again... Um, one thing that Don Patrick f- reflect back to what Don said and Tyler, you've brought that up today on this show. SDSU is the epitome of really, really, really good coaching. So, and, and I'm not saying that, listen, Kirk Ferentz is the Dean of college football, right? But Siegelmeyer has been around since how long has he been the head coach? Say it again, Tyler? Uh,
2: since 1997. So, so he's been be 25.
1: So he's been the head coach longer than Iowa has been the head coach at, or Kirk Ferentz has been the yeah. head coach at Iowa. Let's just mm-hmm. make that clear to everybody. I think there's a concern that Iowa could get out coached. That doesn't mean they're going to lose because the talent gap should be significant. It should be um, from any FBS to FCS school. I know that's not always the case, especially with those top teams, North, South Dakota state, North Dakota state, James Madison, et cetera. But I do think that that would be a concern um, because they got all summer, all summer to to plan for that game. And I understand that, that this isn't, you know, this isn't South Dakota state Super Bowl, but How much from what you know, Tyler, does when and when Sandy, uh, there you go again, South Dakota State plays a an FBS team. Mm -hmm. How much of a uh, focus? Is it more of a focus in the offseason than your typical opener?
2: I wouldn't say it's more of a focus per se. And, of course, most of the time it is the opener. You know, I think there's only been one year, save for the year where we had the rain out like we talked about, so it didn't actually end up being the opener. But most of the time it is the opener. So uh, it's been a rarity that the FBS game hasn't been week one. I can only remember one year, in fact, that it wasn't. Uh, I I think again, it's, it's a dual situation, but Hey, it's no different than me, a mid major in college basketball, you know, And, and we talk about that because SDSU was in Buffalo for game one of the men's basketball tournament while Iowa played game two. So, you know, we finished up our broadcast, sitting next to Gary Dolphin, and I watched that second game. Uh, It goes back to the thing where if you're going to make noise against an FBS, you have to do it in September. Mid-majors have to, in college basketball, succeed in that first month of the year. I don't think there's a greater focus on it. There's just a level of excitement. And again, I think it works both ways because I think that there are are situations where Stiglmeier would love to say, hey, we've got our team well-oiled, we're into November, now let's play a team like Iowa. But at the same time, you might be better off facing a team like Iowa early in the year as opposed to as they go along. So it probably is one of those scenarios where it just depends. Is the glass half full? Is the glass half empty?
1: And I appreciate this comment from Tim Stevens. Tim, the father of Iowa kicker Drew Stevens, he says uh, 10 to 3 means an Iowa field goal for Drew. So, hey, we can always find the positives (laughs) of offensive ineptitude, Mark.
0: That would be the ultimate right there, though.
1: It would be. And uh, drill VP awesome. bring, brings this to my attention. So James Madison is FBS now? I missed something. When did that happen?
0: This year. Okay. All right. So I
1: didn't and really Sam Houston's in the first.
2: process of going up too. Yeah, it's the FBS is uh, is growing, and of course you have schools like Coastal Carolina and and Georgia Southern. I mean, the the FBS is a much different world. The FCS, I should say, is a much different world than it was just a decade ago.
1: So who are the the top dogs now? North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Eastern Washington, Montana
2: well montana state just went to the national championship game you know and beat sdsu so montana state montana uh they were probably the two best teams out of the big sky last year realistically weber states had a nice run and then eastern washington certainly in there too not to discount them and the missouri valley northern iowa is probably right there with sdsu and ndsu as well uh the valley had five that went to the 24 team fcs playoffs last year so they'd be right up there as well and then uh uh, yeah, you have Jacksonville state out of Alabama's had a nice run here as well. They've been seated a number of times and, uh, Villanova, uh, has been very good up in the Northeast. Of course they play in the FCS as well. So, but, uh, but yeah, certainly the Missouri Valley is, is considered if not the best, one of the top two FCS leagues and NDSU and SDSU have been the two bell cows. Incarnate word was pretty good. Last Incarnate year, right? word is, is, uh, has been improving. Yes. They had a
1: transfer quarterback yes. head over to Washington state. So, uh, Mark, you got anything else? This has been fun. I, I love thinking because it makes me feel like we're closer to football than we are. But um, this has been
0: a this has been a joy. It, it makes me think that sometime we should have Tyler back, at least for maybe my call-in show, to let uh, explain to people why the FBS needs a playoff system like the FCS. Uh, I mean, you guys don't have a playoff? I've never that. heard of this,
2: Mark. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> now, I do have one quick question for you, Tyler, before we let you go, in terms of that that playoff. How is that selection process, um, what is the selection process?
2: So it's a 24-team field, so the way it works is the top eight teams receive buys, and then uh, nine through 24 are not seated, so they are put together in theory, somewhat geographically while trying to avoid a rematch of the first round. So it can get a a, get a little murky at times in how it all comes together. But the top eight teams are seated by a playoff committee and they look at, you know, all the metrics and and uh, no different than the NCAA men's basketball tournament where you have people politicking that this should matter. or You know, this team went 10 and one, but with a worse schedule than this team that went eight and three and the Missouri Valley tends to get a team that won six games in and somebody else gets upset because the strength of schedule benefits the Valley, but 24 teams and it's all at home until the national championship. So you get home field advantage all the way through if you're able to earn that. So that's why being a top two seed, the two or the three matters a lot because if you're the three seed, you got to go on the road for the semis in theory, but uh, yeah, it's, it's and every game matters. And if you lose to an FBS team, it sort of is a yeah whatever you know it doesn't really hurt you but if you win it is a big big deal. Uh, one year Illinois State got in uh, because it was six and five but one of those wins was over a Big Ten team in Northwestern and so it got in based on having an FBS win. And the twenty four is selected out of a pool of how many teams are in FCS? About a hundred and thirty.
0: Uh, not okay, all those yeah, are playoff eligible. Recently. Okay, that's yep. what I thought the the number was. Yep. Um, yeah, I like all that except for uh, I'm not big on selection committees determining <laughs> things and I'm not big on buys. And I've explained that you don't want to hear my 3-minute dissertation on why buys don't work in college football. But well, you're not well, big I on like 24. Playoffs,
1: you're not big on 24 teams, Mark.
0: Because of buys. <laughs> okay, well, Mark, so let me, you let me so throw want, one thing go ahead, Sorry, Cara, go let, ahead, let me no.
2: throw one thing out to you too when we talk about buys. SDSU's buy is the last week of the regular season. No, I so, mean buys during a playoff. I'm not in a buy. Well, I'm with you. What I'm saying, if SDSU happens to earn a top eight seed this year and receive an opening round buy, it would have two consecutive weeks off before it plays a game, which, of course, in the FBS, take a month off before a big bowl game. It's no big deal, but that's uh, almost unheard of at the FCS to have back-to-back weeks off before a game.
1: And does do things change? Is, this is my biggest thing with Mark. Do things change with the FCS as slowly as they change with the FBS? Like, we, we like i guarantee you if people were talking right now about cuz i know playoff expansion talks have basically been killed off for now <laughs> but like if that was a topic right now and somebody suggested hey let's let's do a 16 team playoff they'd be like well we're going to weigh this we're going to meet in october of 2023 but if if we do approve it in october of 2023 it won't start until September of 2029. Like that's how things happen in the FBS. Is that how slow things happen in the FCS as well?
2: No, because the decisions that you're talking about involve how many billions of dollars from ESPN. And we're not at that level in the FCS. Yes, there is a contract with ESPN and yes, they cover all the playoff games, but it's not nearly to that degree. And so are there certain things wheels are spun on? Yes, absolutely. This is the NCAA that we all know and love, but it, uh, it doesn't uh, drag its feet quite as badly as some of the stuff that you're alluding to. Mark, anything else?
0: We want to thank you, Tyler, for Absolutely. your graciousness, for your time, for allowing us to misspell your name. That would be me. <laughs> your school. <laughs> and uh, yes, was, I don't know how many times that ran through my mind about looking at South Dakota state and thinking San Diego state, but then I actually Uh, executed it in the moment Uh, that's that's how that just transferred so thank you so much for putting up with all of that lunacy off the top that's uncalled for so we appreciate that we would love to have you back uh the week of the game uh to preview it uh when it's up close and personal at that point
2: if you can match the appearance fee i'm getting today we can certainly negotiate that gentlemen well mark's Uh, covering the fee today
0: so we'll (laughs) see about the
1: one in september
2: no be happy to do it guys it's fun to it's fun to think about like you said i mean we're in uh we're obviously in spring sport mode here on campus but it's fun to think about football it's right around the corner
0: thank you so much tyler we appreciate it take care guys